Today's scripture reading comes from Colossians chapter 3, verses 9 through 17. So if you'd like to open up your Bibles to follow along, please do so. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds, and put on the new man, who is renewed in knowledge, according to the image of him who created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Therefore, as elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender merciness, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and to be thankful. Let the Lord... Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do, in the word or deed, do all in the name of Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen. I appreciated the verses that Ben chose for the call to worship because it fits so well into the topic of sanctification. Sanctification being transformed, that's what I've entitled the message uh, as this morning. But the one verse that stuck out for me in uh, 1 Timothy that Ben read, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord with a pure heart. Sanctification, big topic. Once and done, is there something that we have to do after we're sanctified or made holy? You know, a number of years ago, an unlikely character went viral, and it was all over a phrase he used, get her done. Larry the Cable Guy. I almost entitled today's message, Get Her Done. Because this is kind of Paul's get-or-done chapter. We're talking about sanctification and what it should look like and what our role in it is. But you may say, well, I, I thought it was God who did the sanctifying. Well, yes, that's true. And that's what all chapters 1 and 2 were all about. Without Christ having battled the evil forces of darkness without Christ having taken on that old human nature and, and defeating it and putting it to death on the cross, becoming holy, being sanctified, would be an impossibility. Part of our fourfold gospel of the Christian and Missionary Alliance that, that's represented in our logo that we preach is that Jesus is our Savior, He's our sanctifier, He's our healer, and He's our coming King. So yes, God has sanctified us by the blood of Jesus in the forgiveness of our sins, but now there's a lot of messy stuff still lingering in our lives that we have to work on. And that's why Paul starts out with a premise in verse 1, therefore, since you have been raised in Christ, and then he follows it with a number of imperatives. Since your, our life is now hidden with Christ, verse 13, there are some responses on our part that are required. Over in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13, Paul says this, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, 
For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So we've got the salvation, but the working out of that salvation describes the dynamics of our spiritual life and sanctification. God has done a work in us. God has done a transforming work in us, to be sure. He has made us holy. He has sanctified us positionally. And now it's our responsibility, our responsibility to let that inward work be manifested on the outside. Work out your salvation doesn't mean work for your salvation. We know that. It means, as one commentator put it, to make manifest on the outside the salvation that God has wrought on the inside. God says, get it done. Make it happen. Work it out. Make what I did on the inside a reality on the outside. And that's what Colossians 3 is all about. You know what's so great and what's so encouraging? God didn't say, get her done and good luck with that. He says, work it out, but know that I am working to help you. I'm going to work in you in order to fill my good purpose that I have for your life. And that's why I'm putting the Holy Spirit in you to help you work it out. Now, obviously, no one earns their salvation by works. We know that. It's a gift of, of, of grace through faith. But even in that, we are not passive in salvation. We must believe, right? We must confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in our heart, a deep down believing in our heart that God raised him from the dead. In the same way, we are not to be passive in our sanctification either. We must obey. True believers are commanded to obey. And this, this is how we work the inward work of God to the outside and make it manifest both to God and to those that are around us. Now, the New Testament, as you well know, is loaded with commands. But as we've mentioned, they are positive. We are supposed to be focusing on the positive. It's not all the thou shalt nots. But they are commands that are based on the power that is now within us. And the newness of the new creation that God has produced in us, that new self he's given to us, that's not, it's not to be hidden, it should be evident to everyone. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1 says, Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Get her done. But what does that mean, let us cleanse ourselves? I thought Christ did that. I mean, 1 John 1, 9, right? He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to purify us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I thought that was his job. How then can we cleanse ourselves? Well, let me ask a question. How many of you wash your hands? Okay, I'm taking note of those that don't. Why do we do it? Because we recognize that our hands get dirty, right? So do we cleanse our hands? No, the soap and water does it. In recognizing the dirtiness of our hands, we go to the source of cleansing, and that's kind of what Paul is saying here. We need to recognize the dirtiness of that old self, those old habits that's still lingering, those habits, those old ways of thinking, this, that, that old behavior. And Paul is saying, clean up your act. Go to the source to get the cleansing. 
That's what repentance is all about. Not just admitting your sin and saying, hey, I'm sorry, but turning away from it. Putting it to death. That's where submitting to God and resisting the devil comes in. That's where taking our thoughts captive and making obedient to Christ comes in. That's where confessing our sin comes in. We are to put off, we are to put to death whatever belongs to the earthly nature. We talked about that last time. That's a responsibility for the believer. We are called to pursue holiness, to pursue godliness, and and that sanctification that he has done on the inside. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, we're called to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. How can we walk worthy if we continue to choose sin? In Romans 6, verse 19, Paul says, I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh, for just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now... With that new nature, with that new, uh, new life in Christ. So now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. That's something we have to present. That's working out our salvation. That's working out our sanctification, making it real. Then again in Philippians 2 verse 12, the ver- verb is to work out. Work out our own salvation, your own salvation with fear and trembling. It's a Greek word, katagazomai, a very strong verb. It's emphatic, it's intense. The verb could be translated labor, work, achieve, produce, bring about for yourself. God has done that work on the inside, and he now expects us to produce on the outside in our behavior the transformation that he has accomplished on the inside. That's what he told Timothy in in 2 Timothy 4, 7, right? Train yourself in godliness or to be godly. Work it out. Why? Because we have a new creation. We are a new creation, Our life is hidden with Christ in God. We have been transformed. We've been regenerated. We've been born again. From the innermost part of our being, we have been changed. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, past tense. And behold, all things have become new, past tense. It's been accomplished. But that doesn't mean we still, or that we live without any struggles. How many of you still struggle sometimes? I got both hands up. Absolutely, we do. Remember, it's not the sinful nature, though, that we are struggling with. A definition of sinful nature is the old nature controlled, that's the optimal word, controlled by sin. We no longer have that old nature controlled by sin. Therefore, we no longer have a sinful nature. We now have a new nature that is controlled by the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 9, Paul used the term, I run, I fight, I beat. And in verse 27, it says, I discipline my body and bring it into subjection. This is a... Uh, a, a great, there's a great deal of effort put into this. And it's a lifelong challenge for us. And that's exactly what Paul is calling us to here. We have been raised with Christ, which means our old self died with Christ. We have been raised in a new life. We are united with Christ, hidden with Christ in God. 
Therefore, in the next several verses, Paul is saying, this now is how your life ought to look. And we're going to be looking at that over the next couple of weeks here. And he gives one imperative after another, after another, after another, that describes and defines our spiritual responsibility. Keep seeking. Keep setting your minds. Consider your body. Put the old desires all aside. All those kinds of commands fill the next section of Colossians chapter 3. Now, some of the commands, uh, the ones that we actually looked at last week, are negative, if you want to use the term negative, uh, such as verse 5, which says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. And in verse 8, we looked at, Rid yourselves of anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. And we saw that there was a progression in both of those lists. How many of you go bowling or have bowled? Okay, most people. When you bowl, what is the objective? To knock down the pins and keep the ball out of the gutter, right? What do you set your minds and hearts on? Usually that center pin, right? You set your hearts and your minds on that center pin, aiming for a strike. You don't set your mind and thoughts on the gutters. Because oftentimes, if you set your mind on the gutters, that's probably where the bowling ball is going to go. But what happens if you do get a gutter ball? Next time you come up, you reset your minds and hearts on that center pin. Paul did not give us these lists that we mentioned in verse 5 and verse 8 for us to focus on what not to do. He gave us those lists to show us where the gutters are. And he's saying, stay out of the gutters by continuing to set your minds and hearts where they ought to be on Jesus Christ, on heavenly things, things above, not on earthly things. Just as you get better in bowling and perfect your bowling life, we need to continue to work out our salvation and perfect our life in Christ. If you remember last week, we said that Paul began with a premise in verse 1, since then you have been raised with Christ, the following is true. In verse 9, he re reiterates that truth in our passage this morning in different words. Since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, and he says, with, kind of with that in mind, there are then some very positive behaviors that you need to be doing that he shares with us. For example, later on in verse 12, we'll probably be looking at that next week. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Bear with each other and forgive each other. He says, put on love, put on peace, be thankful, worship, do all to the glory of God. Those are wonderful things. Those are the kind of things that are part of that new life. So this is going to be kind of a summary of Christian sanctification, if you will. Negative things to be put off, positive things to be put on, and focusing on what to put on. We are a new creature. Now we need to dress as in, in, in those new garments. God, get rid of the old garments that were connected with your previous fallen nature in Adam and put on the garments consistent with your new life in Christ. 
Now, one of the great early church fathers was John Chrysostom, a great scholar and preacher. In one of his writings, he made an interesting statement comparing the salvation Noah's family found in the ark back in Genesis and the salvation we find in Christ. That's a proper comparison. The ark of the Old Testament was a foreshadowing of Christ and what he does. And John Chrysostom says this, All the animals went into the ark and came out exactly the same. When they left at the end of the flood, they were exactly the same animals they were when they went in. A fox was a fox, a crow was a crow, a porcupine was a porcupine. But he says, all who enter the ark of salvation in Christ are transformed. We go in one way and we come out completely different, completely transformed. Sinners who enter the ark of Christ in one form are completely Recreated in another form. A.J. Gordon, uh, founder of Gordon College and Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary, where I attended up in Massachusetts, he wrote this, I have seen in the autumn when trees have shed their leaves that some leaves stick fast to the branches and they hang on even through the storms of winter. Have you seen that? When I first came back from India after high school, I went to Houghton College Met my wife, we started dating. She's smiling, she knows what's coming. The first winter, we were sitting in the uh, student center, the, the lounge, and I was sitting on a little sofa thing, looking out the big bay window to the quad, a beautiful campus there at Houghton, and you know, trees all over there. The winter came, and all the maple trees, they had dropped all their leaves, but they had these oak trees. It was driving me crazy. Had all kinds of dead brown leaves still hanging on. And I said to her, what's with those leaves? Why aren't they falling? And she was quick, says, oh, those are, those are rejuvenating oak trees. I said, really? Yeah, in the spring, the, the leaves come back to life again. I said, wow. She got me. I mean, what did I know? I was, I was a kid from India. I, I, I knew eucalyptus trees. I knew acacia trees. A.J. Gordon then said after his first comment, but when the spring comes and the sap begins to rise, the leaves disappear because they're pushed off by the power of new life. Isn't that great? I love that analogy. That's kind of what it is to be sanctified. We're becoming a new creation. We've died. We have this new life. And we have the remnants of that old life still attached that need to be pushed off by the power of the new life. Folks, that's sanctification. God makes us new creations in Christ, and as a new creation, we are changed. We are not who we were. We are now righteous, not just declared righteous, but we have been created in righteousness with that new nature of Christ. We have been converted, which means changed, means transformed. We're called saints. We were slaves to sin, Romans 6 talks about that, now we are slaves to righteousness. In our slavery to sin, it was just ever-increasing manifestations of sins. We couldn't help ourselves. But now as a slave of righteousness, Romans 6 says as well, it's ever-increasing evidences of righteousness. This is the whole point of Colossians chapter 3, to command us to live on the outside what God has made us on the inside. We are new. We need to live in a way consistent with that newness. 
This is a truth and message that is, I would say, probably rarely being preached in so many churches today. Because they are trying to be relevant. They're trying to be tolerant, and they're trying to be accepted by the culture, and therefore they are being changed by the culture rather than being a change agent in the culture. What we need to be, we should no longer be. The results of sin, uh, the, the results of sin of gluttony is being hailed as beautiful. The sin of homosexuality is being hailed as wonderful. The sin of transgenderism is being labeled as bold and brave and true to yourself. Christine, who was visiting us uh, this past week, uh, I was helping her go through her uh, health insurance, what uh, student health insurance she had, uh, what was covered, what wasn't covered. And something struck me as I was going down the list of things that were covered, you had to get permission. Gender-affirming surgery is the way they, they listed that. It's a very positive thing. And any word against any of these sins coming with, comes with various degrees of retribution, from name-calling with labels to loss of jobs and even to arrest. Some of you may have heard about the uh, Canadian high school student in a Catholic uh, school in Canada who was bold enough to say there are only two genders. In the Catholic school, they expelled him for the rest of the year. And when he tried to come back, they called the police. He was arrested and charged. So many churches today, the concept seems to be that as long as you say you believe in Jesus, you can continue to live any kind of lifestyle, and you'll be fine. That's a travesty, folks. That is a travesty that is being taught in churches because there will be so many people. When Jesus comes raptures his church, who will find themselves left behind. True Christians are transformed people. They're not perfect. No, not at all. But they are transformed people who continue to be transformed. How? By continuing to set our minds and hearts on things above. And at the same time, putting to death those old habitual desires of the old nature. By taking them captive, refusing them in the name of Jesus, and making them obedient to Christ. Now, as we continue talking about this topic of sanctification, here in verse 9 of Colossians 3, we find, first of all, the premise of sanctification. We're going to be talking about working on these verses for the next couple of Sundays here. But the premise of sanctification, verse 9, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self. That's actually the very same premise that God, uh, Paul started with in verse 1 when he said, having been raised with Christ. Having been raised with Christ means that we have taken off the old self and we have put on the, the new self. This is really very important language. It's, it's in the past tense, right? It's a done deal. It's over with. It's accomplished. It's completed. You have taken off your old self with its practices. Well, which practices? Well, the practices that are associated with the old self. You are not who you used to be. Romans 6.6 6 says the old man or the old self was crucified with him. 
It's dead. You are now a new person. This point is so important because I think this is the premise on which we must understand sanctification. It's got to start there. Listen to Romans chapter 5, verses 18 and 19. Therefore, as through one man's offense, we're talking about Adam, judgment came to all men, all people, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, now we're talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, the free gift came to all men, all people, all who believe, resulting in justification of life. And then in verse 19, for as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. They weren't just counted as sinners or assumed to be sinners. They were made sinners because they weren't before the fall. So also by one man's obedience, Christ Many will be made righteous, made righteous because they weren't righteous after the fall. And as the sin of Adam made all of us, uh, excuse me, as the sin of Adam made us all sinners, the righteousness of Christ then made, made us righteous. The truest thing about you is that you are righteous in God's eyes. Sin is alien to you. It's an intrusion. It is an enemy. We have been transformed. You are not two people. You are not an old man and new man living side by side. You're not two natures. That's a horrible error that's been uh, taught down through the ages. You're not, um, you're not two natures fighting each other. You're not both in Adam and in Christ. How is that even possible? You were in Adam. Now you're in Christ. You were a slave to sin. You're now a slave to righteousness. You are a new creation. The old has passed away. It's been crucified. It is dead. This is our new identity. This is the premise of sanctification. Let me show you something that uh, comes out quite clearly in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Paul makes some statements that make this truth inescapable. In 1 Corinthians 6 verse 9, it says, Do you not know? Paul saying, it should be obvious. Okay, do you not know? that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. You're not going to heaven if you are unrighteous and continuing to live an unrighteous lifestyle. Do not be deceived. There are so many churches today, I believe, that are deceiving people, and they're going to be held accountable. It says, do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Heaven is not for unrighteous people. Couldn't be more clear. Then verse 11 of 1 Corinthians 6 says, And such were some of you. <laughs> He's speaking, speaking to the Corinthians. You were, you were that. But you were washed. But you were sanctified. But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. You know, the world wants to justify. They take that word uh, to, uh, to justify. They want, they want to justify um, our, our proclivities by condoning, accepting, and praising sin. Science is looking for what I call the proclivity gene. The gene they think we, we must be born with to justify our sinful behavior. But they're never going to find it because it's not there. Scripture calls it sin. 
And there is no human justification for that. And that's not what God's justification is all about. His justification comes from the washing that we receive by the blood of Jesus. And being made holy in his sight, being sanctified, being changed, being transformed. The old self is dead. The old loves and longings are dead, killed, crucified. We're in Christ and Christ is in us. The old nature is not converted. The old nature can't be converted. It can only be killed. The old nature is not renewed. It can't be renewed. It can only be killed. It can only be replaced by the new nature. Christ killed it. Christ put it to death and replaced it with a new nature by the creative act of God and nothing less than that. Salvation is a complete new creation. Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I, the Greek word ego, me, myself, I have been crucified with Christ. I died. I was killed, Paul says. And it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's still I, if you think about it, but it's not the old I, it's the new I. And that new I is indistinguishably linked to the life of Christ who is in me. We have been sanctified and washed as well as justified. We have been made new. The old has gone, the new has come. This is the premise of sanctification, that we are a new person. I am a new person. And that the realities of righteous behavior and conduct and thought and word are all within the capacity of our new nature. God is not going to tell us to behave this way and that way if it's not even possible. We can't use the excuse, well, I just couldn't help myself. That's a lie. Don't use it. The only way you'll ever enter the kingdom of heaven is if whatever you were... You are no longer. Such were some of you, Paul said, which indicates that that's in his, in his uh, capacity, in his viewing of them, he, they are no longer that. The church is full of people who were all these things but are no longer. Now, it doesn't mean that, that we're not having, that we don't have battles because we still have these old bodies that may still crave some of those old, old things because that's what it's used to. That's why we are to work at putting to death those old desires. But please understand this as a believer, we are a new creation with new longings, with new aspirations with new desires, with new loves. And that's the premise of sanctification. We're changed. And God did the changing. But there's a second point about sanctification that we want to look here at this morning before we close. And it's what Paul shares with us. And that's the, the progress of sanctification. <clears throat> the progress of sanctification. There, there's a progress involved. Uh, looking again at verses 9 and 10, Paul states a couple of facts. Three, fact number one, you have taken off your old self with its practices. Well, when did that happen? When by faith we believed in Jesus Christ. Fact number two, and have put on the new self. Those two actions, putting off, putting on, took place almost simultaneously, virtually one miraculous action. And then fact number three, which is being renewed in knowledge. 
Now, it's not just any knowledge. It's not just some simple head knowledge. This is a very precise word that is being used here. It's true, precise, correct, deep knowledge. So the new self is being renewed to this true, precise, correct knowledge according to the image of Christ, of the one who created him. Now, we've just stepped into the area of spiritual growth, into the area of progress and sanctification. Just as we were to work out our salvation, just as we are to grow in our faith, we are to progress in our sanctification. Now that we, have, we are these new creations, we are being renewed constantly and continually. If you take the example of a baby, for, uh, uh, for an example, when, when it's born, it's born a complete person. Tiny, but it's born a complete person. All the parts are there, all the organs are there, all the elements are there, all the faculties are there, everything is there. The child, child however, needs to be fed so the child can grow. And the body needs to be renewed, continually renewed with new cellular development growth. Old cells die off, new cells are created. And eventually the child grows and grows and grows. And that's natural to life and it should be natural in our spiritual growth as well. Oftentimes when people see a little baby boy, they say, ah, looks just like his father. Well, perhaps so, but he doesn't act like his father at that point. He cries, he screams, he makes messes. The only way he'll grow up to act like his father is if his father takes time and invests in him with truth and wisdom and knowledge, and then he'll not only look like his father, then he'll begin acting like his father as well. And that's exactly what spiritual progress is. The new nature is complete. The whole spiritual person is there. What God has done is complete, And it has a capacity for growth and spiritual cellular uh, development. And and that's exactly what needs to happen. We're exhorted in 2 Peter 3.18, Grow, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The new birth is a recreation in God's image what was lost at the fall. And the subsequent life is just a development of that image so that the child looks and acts more and more and more like the Father and we become more like Christ. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, verse verse 16, the inward man is being renewed day by day. This is an unending uh, progress. The inner man is being renewed day by day and it's by the presence and power of the Holy Spirit living in us. How does this happen? Well, it tells us right there in verse 10, and it relates back to verses 1 and 2 of setting our minds and hearts on the things above. The new self is being renewed to this true, precise, correct, deep knowledge. Epignosis is a Greek word, according to the image of the one who created him. He doesn't say you're renewed by good works. He doesn't say your old life was marked by bad works. Your new life now is marked by good works. And it's those good works that produce the growth. That's not, that's not what he's saying. It's not the good works that produce the growth. It's the knowledge that produces the spiritual growth that then produces the good works. We are renewed by a deep, profound, true knowledge of Christ. Remember Paul's prayer back in chapter 1, verse 9. For this reason, Paul says, we also, since the day we heard it, 
do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge, epignosis, same Greek word, filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Just filled with knowledge, even of God or even of the Bible, just knowledge is not good enough. Knowledge is head level. It has to get down to the heart and soul level. Satan knows God really well. Demonic spirits know God really well. But it's not good enough. Scripture says they tremble. Paul's prayer was that we would be filled with the knowledge, that deep down profound heart knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That spiritual understanding only comes because we've got the Holy Spirit living in us. Why is it so important to have that life-changing kind of knowledge continually? Because that's the only way we're going to walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him in verse 10, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And how are we going to be filled with the knowledge of His will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding? Back to verse 1. Setting your hearts on things above where Christ is, setting your minds on things above, not on earthly things, certainly not on ourselves. And the more we keep setting our minds and hearts on those things, on things above, the more we're going to want to. It almost becomes an insatiable desire. And folks, that's the kind of desire and passion God wants bursting forth in us. There should be a hunger and a thirst for it. In Psalm chapter 42, verse 1 and 2, it says, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet God? Do our souls thirst for God and the things of God? We're not there yet in this earthly body. We haven't reached perfection. But that's a whole concept in spiritual growth and sanctification. One commentator wrote, it's absolutely unbiblical, it's heretical to think that you could say, Jesus is my Savior and live any way you want to live. Nowhere in Scripture does it teach that. Unless there's a transformed life where there are appetites for things that are righteous and pure and holy and just and good, a person doesn't have the new nature. They don't have the new nature. Why do I say that? Because salvation is visible. It shows up on the outside when God has done the work on the inside. Paul says in Romans 12, verse 2, Do not conform to the pattern of this world. This may sound harsh, but there are churches, whole denominations, leading people straight to hell. by saying you can be a Christian and continue being conformed to the pattern of this world. No problem. God says, no, you can't. No, you can't. God says, do not conform. Do not continue in the pattern of this world. But what? But be transformed. Be changed continually by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and prove what God's will is. And it's a progressive thing. How do we keep renewing our mind as we take in more and more of God's word and set our minds and hearts where they ought to be 
The Lord leads us to be conformed to the image of the one who created us. It's that changing power of the Holy Spirit that is working in us. So the premise of sanctification is that you are a new creature. You've been changed. The old is gone. The new has come. The progress of sanctification is you're in a growth mode. You're continuing to set your eyes on things above, and you're continuing to put off those old desires that keep trying to crop up. Are we growing? Are we growing? Are we progressing in our sanctification with the Lord? Or have we stunted our growth because we think, ah, I've heard it all before. I basically know it. Do our souls pant and thirst for God? Father, this morning, if we don't have that thirst, put that thirst in us. Continue to transform our minds. Continue to transform our hearts. Continue to help us put, put, put off those old sinful desires that, that we're kind of used to and kind of gotten accustomed to and maybe even like some, but we know that they're displeasing to you. Help us to refuse those, making those thoughts, making those desires obedient to you. Father, give us a desire to know you, to be filled with the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And as we are filled with that knowledge, the Holy Spirit will be transforming us on a continual basis, making us more and more like Christ, letting us be that light that can be shined among those who, with whom we, we, uh, we live. So Father, we thank you. Thank you for that work that you've done. Amazing. Even when we were dead in our sins, you loved us that much to transform us, purify us, help us to live that purified life. In Jesus' name, amen.